God has not promised us skies always blue, flowers strewn pathways all our lives through. God has not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God has promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, undying sympathy, and unfailing love. That's a poem by Annie Johnson Flint, and we're in a sermon series right now in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 called The Most Excellent Way, Love. And we learned last week that we love because He first loved us, and that God invites us to love one another out of our relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, 1 John 4, 7, and 8 spells it out very clearly for us. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves uh, knows God, and loves God and knows God, for God is love. Now, this week we're looking at God's love for us, that the fact that it is an unfailing love, like we just heard sung a moment ago in that song. 1 Corinthians 13 here now uses in the original language of the text the Greek word agape, to describe love. Now, the ancient Koine Greek language of Jesus' day had numerous words for love. One of them was phileo, which is a friendship, a brotherly kind of love. The city of Philadelphia on the East Coast is named after the Greek word phileo, and it's a city of brotherly love, though I, I think, unfortunately, it doesn't always reflect that right now with all of the crime and the violence that's occurring in that city. Another uh, Greek word for love is the word storge, it's a familial, it's a family kind of love that parents would have for children and children for parents and siblings for one another. They storge one another. Then there's the word eros, which describes a physical, intimate, sexual, even a lustful kind of love. It's where we get our, Greek, our uh, English word erotic from. And the word agape is the highest form of love there is. It's a no-strings-attached kind of love. It's an unconditional love. And throughout the book of 1 John, uh, the word agape that we studied last uh, winter when we were in that sermon series in 1 John, the God of light and love, the word agape is used throughout the entire book to describe God's love for us and the kind of love that we should have for one another. Now, here in 1 Corinthians 13... The word agape is used continuously, and this kind of love that comes from God, because God is love, we are told in verse 8, never fails. And the verb that's used here for fail in the New Testament is used to describe things that fall, things that fall down, things that come to an end, a person who falls into ruin or destruction, someone who dies or something that dies, and it can mean to be done away with. And it's a portrait of a flower that falls to the ground, withers, and decays. And the Apostle Paul says here that this agape love, this God's love that He gives to us, it will never fall to the ground. It will not wither or decay. It, by its nature, love is eternal. That's why it says in verse 8, love never fails. It will never be abolished. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, 
They will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Verse 9 says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, that's an eschatological term. That means it's an end time word there. When everything comes to its fulfillment, it comes to its climax, it comes to its end. When Jesus Christ returns, when that completeness comes, what is in part, many of the things in the here and now, will disappear. You know, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection in the mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. Using the metaphor there of childhood to adulthood and things you knew in part, but things you'll know completely later on. Right now in the here and now, we don't have this complete knowledge. But when completeness comes, when Jesus returns, when uh, the, the, this period of the church is, is over and glory is is forever and ever for God's people together. Uh, that's when the full knowledge will come. And these three, it says, remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. It's telling us that by its nature, love is permanent. It will never be abolished. And heaven is full of love because it's full of God's love. Now consider with me here, uh, other Bible translations and paraphrases here of love never fails. As Bible scholars have wrestled with this full meaning of this word, uh, this verb that's used here, and I have dumped all of them on you, definitions that are used in the Bible of this word. But here's what the New Living Translation says. Love will last forever. The message paraphrase says, it never dies. The Revised Standard Version says, it never ends. The today's English version says love is eternal. The New English Bible says God's love will never come to an end. See, love never fails. Governments fail us. People fail us. Employers fail us. Spouses even fail us. Sometimes they will divorce us. Family members fail us. Children and grandchildren can even fail us. Friends may fail us. Our favorite sports teams fail us all the time, okay? Many of us here, no matter where you're, which team you cheer for in football, they haven't been in the Super Bowl, have they? You know, I cringed last night when I saw the news and the Brewers lost to the Pirates 4-3. to three. I'm like, oh, no, you know. We usually own the, the Pirates, but not this year. They're getting us. Our favorite teams fail us. Co-workers and teammates and classmates fail us. We are let down on every front. But God's love will never fail us. Our money can run out. We can even face supply chain shortages like some of us are facing right now where you can't get a part for your vehicle or for an implement that you need and you're sitting there waiting because they're on back order and you can't get those supplies. We can even have our needs that outpace our resources like many people are experiencing right now because of our current inflation and they're coming up a little short. Cry, we can't even keep up with the latest mutation of the COVID virus that's going on. I, I can't even name the new one now, okay? But, and, and even the vaccinations and the boosters are lagging behind. Life goes on 
with us being let down time and time again. Failure and people failing us have become a staple of our lives. But God's love never fails. You know, no human being can love someone perfectly. But God is not like us in being and nature, which is why God's love is different than ours. And that's why He offers it to us. And that's how He invites us to have a relationship with His Son, Jesus, so that we can love others through Him. Max Lucado writes, here's the difference now. you really got to listen carefully to what he says. Our love depends on the receiver of the love. Let a thousand people pass before us and we will not feel the same about each. Our love will be regulated by their appearance. Uh-oh, do they have tattoos? Do they have piercings all over? Will it, it will be regulated by their personalities, by their behavior, and their attitudes. Even when we find people that we like, our feelings often fluctuate. How they treat us will affect how we love them. The receiver regulates our love. Now, God's love is not like this, for we as receivers have no impact on God's love for us. God's love is from within God, not from what God finds in us. God's love for us is not based upon our faith. It's not based upon our obedience. It's not even based upon our goodness, but it's based upon God's nature because God is love. 1 John 4.10 says it well. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Our devotion to God doesn't increase His love for us, just as our waywardness and our weaknesses spiritually do not diminish God's love for us. Do you remember what Moses said to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 and the beginning of verse 8? He said, The Lord did not set His affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loved you. In Romans chapter 9, verse 25, the Apostle Paul quotes the prophet Hosea saying something very similar. I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. The message paraphrases this really well, and, and I, I'll share it with you. It says, I call nobodies and make them somebodies. I'll call the unloved and make them beloved. God loves us because God has chosen to love us, and His love comes out of His perfect, eternal being. So God loves us when we're not our best selves. God loves us when we are unlovely. God loves us even when other people don't love us or won't love us. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Now listen again to the Holy Spirit-inspired word that the Apostle Paul shares in Ephesians 3, 14-19. That's part of our scripture reading today. For this reason, I kneel down 
before the Father. This is why I'm praying. From whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, I pray that out of His, this is God's glorious riches, that He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. From God's riches, we can receive these things through God's Spirit, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It's beyond our human comprehension to understand the fullness and the depth. And as the people of God together, we can get glimpses of it and understand it even in a deeper way. But it's hard as human beings and mortals to completely understand the fullness of the love of God. J.I. Packer in his classic book, Knowing God, uh, he took a stab at it and he wrote the following. Listen carefully to what he said. It's very intellectual, but listen, it's powerful. What matters supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God, but the larger fact that underlies it, that He knows me. I am graven on the palm, palms of His hands. I am never out of His mind. All of my knowledge of God depends on His sustained initiative in knowing me. I know Him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me, and there is no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me. No moment, therefore, when his care falters. This is momentous knowledge. There is unspeakable comfort in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good. There's tremendous relief in knowing that His love is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of, of, what, of the worst about me, so that no discovery now can disillusion God about me in the way that I am often disillusioned about myself, and quench God's determination to bless me. Paul prays so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may know the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how deep, uh, deep, deep, is the love of Christ. And to know the love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. Friends, God's love never fails. Would you pray with me, please? God, our Father, we thank you today again for the biblical, beautiful reminder of your very being, your nature, that God, you are love. And you love us with an everlasting love. And that love is not based upon what we do or don't do. 
It's a gracious act on your part from the very being who you are in perfection and eternity in nature, being a God of love. And God, the invitation that you extend to us with this unfailing love that you have for us, that in Christ Jesus we can love because you first loved us. Oh God, the, the need is great in this world for your church to be loving, to reflect the image of the God we've been created in and who we are being spiritually drawn closer to and created by and for. God, I pray that you would bless your church as we live out by faith this love that you've given to us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.